0: We just want to talk to you a little bit about what we do in our class on Wednesday night. Um, I teach the pre-K, four, and kindergarten kids on Wednesday nights during the school year, and I have done this for more years than I want to tell you. But I get so much out of it. It is so much fun, and it is easy to do, and the kids are just such a rewarding thing when you get to work with them. Miss Tanya is a great teacher. She does so much thing that's nice. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we do on Wednesday nights. So Judah, when we come to Bible class on Wednesday nights, one of the things we do is have story time, right? And we use this bulletin board that's back here behind you to talk about different stories. Can you tell me anything about this story that's back here on the bulletin board? What is that? The big disaster. What was the big disaster? Adam ate the one tree that God said they might eat. And why was that a problem? Because that was the one tree. on the going The snake tempted them, and they made a bad choice, didn't they? And they disobeyed God. And that caused a big disaster where we couldn't be with God anymore. But God had a plan, right? What was the plan? Who was going to fix the big disaster? God. God was. Can you tell me what that picture over there is? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus came to fix the big disaster, right? And what did Jesus do? He died on the cross. He died on the cross so that we could be with God, right? You know so our Wednesday night class is a lot of fun, but the kids learn a lot too. You can see that Judah knew the story. I did not coach him on that. He knew the Bible verse. We learned different Bible verses during the year. We have a lot of fun, but we learn a lot about Jesus too, right? So I would encourage anybody that might have an interest in teaching, just dip your toe in that way. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. And it's very rewarding. So, do we like having teachers around? Yes, we do, don't we? All right.
1: What a handsome kid, am I right? <laughs> so I got to tell you, one of my, the favorite, my favorite things that happens in our family is that at bedtime, I'll lay with the, each kid and just talk, tell me about your day. And Judah, our youngest, will say, hey, dad, can I tell you this? And it doesn't matter what I say next. He's going to tell me this. And half the time, it's about this Wednesday night Bible class that he's been in for the last couple of years. Miss Tanya. Who is a rock star in our household? Because yeah, Miss Tanya and the other volunteer teachers that help Miss Tanya. Um, so he it'll be half the time it'll be like a, about a Bible story that he learned. Daniel in the Lions Den is his favorite right now. Um, or uh, about the, he calls it Ticket Class. We call it Ticket Class because you get tickets in the Wednesday night class. And the rare times he gets the golden ticket. Tick, ticket Church. Ticket Church. I'm sorry. thank you for the feedback Um, (laughs) yeah it was called ticket church anyway so uh, but he talks about Miss Tanya so much that after a while I started to say something encouraging like is there anybody else that you really like who teaches you regularly about the Bible and honestly the answer is Miss Tanya and me is a very distant second And I tell you all that because if you don't have a kid in that particular age group, you don't know about this thing that happens every Wednesday night. But every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning, there are a lot of men and women who get here a little bit early and leave a little bit later because they're pouring the faith into the next generation. And it's faith that, for the most part, somebody did for them when they were a kid. They're trying to return the gift that was given to them and there's so much joy in it like just this last week katie collier is teaching the two-year-olds and the little girl doesn't know her name so she goes excuse me um mrs jesus <laughs> which is epic there's not much better titles that you could get than mrs jesus um okay so one of my favorite things to do with our kids is you know how every generation comes up with the new words Uh, Man, I am so pumped about getting to do this this morning because I'm going to ruin these new words for them. Because one of the things I love to do with the kids is when I find out a new word, you know, like in the 60s it was groovy, in the 80s it was cool, whatever. Uh, When I find out what those new words are, I start using it. And I think that serves the same functions as it does when like grandma's gone on Facebook. You remember that? (laughs) Like everybody gets off Facebook and they go to something else. And my kids hate it. Like, no cap. They hate it. <laughs> oh, it's going to get worse, y'all. Uh, like, for example, words change over time. Like, bussing. You guys know this? <laughs> bussing? If something's like really, really good or cool, they call it bussing. Like, when I was growing up, <clears throat> we didn't use bussing like that. We used bussing like, man, we are like bussing some kids to church camp, right? Or if somebody's really, really good at something, you would say they are cracked. Like Joe Burrow is cracked at football, right? Growing up in the 80s, crack was a very different word for us. (laughs) Or (laughs) riz. I love riz. Or all its variations, the rizzard or rizzler, all these things. It means to, uh, it means to, y'all want to say what it means? (laughs) It means charisma is what it means. Like it's actually the word charisma, but it means to be able to like hit on somebody or they have really great game or something like that. And I love doing that. I absolutely love kind of outing all these words so that you senior saints can use them appropriately. I, uh, but I also know it's hard to keep up with all the change, right? And sometimes churches change. And especially, you know, we've got a lot of new people, and, and everybody's got a lot of different church experiences. And since the pandemic, churches all over America have noticed that there's this culture that has changed. That, so a lot of people come in new from different church experiences, and maybe you've had different church experience. And this morning, and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about who we are as a church and what it looks like to be a part of this body of believers. Because we are PV. Now, if you're a guest today, this is actually a great day to be here because you're going to find out who we are and why we are the way we are. A little bit about that. And if you're just traveling through, then hopefully you'll take this and go back to your home church and serve. But for us, PV, this is who we are. If you come to PV, if you call this place your home, then we want you to get and we want you to give. We want you to be served by someone else. And we want you, someone else to be served by you. We want you to be loved. And we want someone else here to feel loved by you. We want someone to encourage you. And we want someone else to feel encouraged by you. We want you to be blessed. And we want you or someone else to be blessed by you. Are you seeing the pattern here? Like if you call this church home, we don't just want you consuming. We want You serving in some capacity for God's glory, for uh, the good of the people around you, for your own good, and listen to this, for your joy. It may just be the season of life I'm in. I think a lot of people in their 40s go through this kind of transition, but I've noticed the days that I go to sleep, that I feel the most happiness, that I feel the most joy, that I rest the best, the days I've had the most laughter and happiness are not the days that I thought they would be when I was in my 20s. It's not the days of me doing a lot of me time and everything I want. It's the days that I serve other people. So actually, this last year for my birthday, um, you know, I grew up, I was the youngest, I could get what I wanted to do on my birthday for the most part. But uh, this past year for my birthday, I was like, kids, what do do y'all wanna do? So we went bowling and had pizza and the dirty secret of why I did that It's because I wanted to have a happy birthday. This is a totally different path to joy. And it's so different than the world that we live in. In fact, it almost feels overwhelming preaching a sermon like this because you're going to, every, a thousand times a week, thousands of times a week, every time you turn on the TV, every time you turn on the radio, when you're driving down the interstate or down the road, when you're having conversations with other people, it's just in the air of American culture is that the path to joy is by getting stuff. And, and yeah, you know what? You got a lot of stuff, and, and joy didn't come through that, but it was just because you got the wrong stuff. And if you'll just get that next thing, or if you'll just you know do that next experience, if you'll just make that next purchase, it will work. In fact, it honestly would be a waste of time to preach this sermon, because you're just so assaulted by this idea all over the place in our culture. It would be a waste of time, unless... This were just so profoundly true that if you tried it, it would change your life and your mind. In fact, I would like, bigger than just serving each other at PV, I'd like to ask you to do a holy dare this week. Would you for a week, every day, think about how to serve other people first for yourself and see if it's not a deeply better way to live? And if you're a follower of, not, of Jesus, this is kind of a non-negotiable. Not kind of, it is a non-negotiable. Because Jesus was actually, this is one of the things he was crystal clear about. Not as a burden, but as a joy and as an identity. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 33. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus hears some of the disciples talking about something. And because they know him so well, when he asks, what are you talking about? They're like, nothing. Let's move it on, move it on. Here's what the scene is. Uh, In verse 33, they came to Capernaum. And while he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said... Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and must be the servant of all. And you might think that that's the end of it. But they, these first followers of Jesus, are like us. And they needed to hear it more than once. And so a few days later, just a few verses later in Mark, James and John come to him and in another gospel. They get their mom to come to him. And they're asking, hey, we want to be the most important people in your new administration. We want to be the people who have the seats on your right and your left, the first and the second in command. And that's the scene for this. In chapter 10, verse 31, Jesus says, But many who are first shall be last, and the last first. And while they're on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid, again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be delivered to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn me to death, and they will hand, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock me, they'll shame me and make fun of me. They'll spit on me, they'll flog me, they'll kill me. And three days later, I won't be dead anymore and in light of what is about to happen you might think well jesus you should probably turn around but in light of this what he is intentionally going to this future and in the context of that james or john are like man it's a great time to ask so james and john the son of zebedee come to him and say teacher we want us to do for us whatever we ask you know we got five kids this feels very familiar. What do you want for me to do for you, he asked. They said, Lord, let us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Yeah, sure, we can. Wow. Jesus said to them, "Yo, you will. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to give. These places have already been, belonged to, they've been prepared for. What's Jesus thinking about? The thief on the cross. The people that he's going to be crucified with. They have no idea what they're asking. They want his power and his glory. And he's thinking, you just don't know what you're talking about. And when the ten heard this, they got upset.
0: Because guess what?
1: They're not upset because they understood. They're upset because they wanted those spots. They become indignant. And so Jesus comes up and has a, you know, come to Jesus meeting. And he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You know that high officials they exercise their authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice, Jesus, when he's talking to them, he does not get on to them for wanting to be great. That's a God-given ambition you have. He rebukes them because they don't understand what true greatness is. Whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. And listen, when disciples of Jesus get this wrong, things go really, really badly. You've seen this. Sometimes it's, you know pastors who are wanting to be celebrity pastors and they care more about their image than they do the people that they're serving. Yeah. Sometimes it's churches that split over and over again and just can't seem to get along and, and you, you talk to people involved in it and they tell you why and you're like, really? And they're like, no, no, this is huge. And you dig a little bit and you're like, did you just not get your way? This is not, this is not a new problem. In fact, one of the earliest Christians, a guy named Paul, he planted a church. When the first church in Europe was this church in the city of Philippi. And he has, after he plants it, he has to write a letter back a few years later because they were on the verge of, of they hadn't invented church splitting yet, but that was going to happen. And you know why? It was because these two women, Judea and Syntyche, were at each other's throats. And Paul writes this letter, and in that letter, when he's trying to address this problem, here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How great would it be to be a part of a community where they took that seriously? Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to each other your own interests, but to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another. And this is what we're talking about how we are a church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's trying to connect why Jesus came to how Jesus came. He wants you to know, Jesus didn't just come wrapped in flesh. He came wrapped in a towel. He who was higher than anybody came lower than anyone. And and Jesus says to his disciples, the servant is not greater than the teacher. If this is who Jesus is, then this is what it means to follow him. Because when Jesus came down, he really came down. He came to bring a kingdom that operates on a principle that the path of greatness is to service and it's so important that even the king is not exempt in the kingdom of god servant is really the only identity there are a lot of job different job descriptions but only one role we are not disciples because we serve we serve because we're disciples because we follow a king who was a servant i like the way paul says it in another place that church he wrote or a church he planted and wrote a letter to in another part of the Bible. He says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but King Jesus is Lord. And ourselves, if we're going to bring ourselves into this, we're talking about ourselves as servants for His sake. When Jesus saves us, He leaves us with a greater purpose than just to keep us from sinning. Our identity as a servant is part of our message to the watching world. He he doesn't just save us from something. He saves us for something. I like the way Peter, another one of the early followers of Jesus, puts this. He is actually thinking back on his life with Jesus, and he's thinking about these churches that he's trying to steward, the authority he has. And he says, look, each of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So what gift have you received? What gifts have you received? We're called to use those to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's 1 Peter 4.10. To not serve is to poorly poorly steward the grace of God. And that means, and this is hard, because I live in the same world you do. I watch the same advertisements you do. I'm shaped by them more than I'm even aware myself. But when we come to being a part of God's people... We've got to start questioning what's Christian and what's American. Because to be a part of a church like this means changing what can church do for me to what can church do through me? And the kingdom of God serving is the only strategy. This is so important because so many people, including us, we want to advance the kingdom of God by hijacking the way the kingdom advances, and, and we do it the same way James and John do. Right? If Man, if I was just in charge. If I was, you know, I could... The, the whole problem with James and John is my problem. It's your problem. Okay. It's our problem. We want to baptize the old system, do like the Gentiles do, just for a different agenda. And Jesus, it's important to notice, before Jesus does any ministry, He's already avoided that temptation he rejected it remember when jesus is baptized right afterwards he's driven by the spirit out into the wilderness and he's tempted by the satan three different ways and the last one is satan says look you don't want you want to be in charge you want to have everybody do exactly what you say when you want and to that jesus says no that's not to say if you're a follower of Jesus, you should avoid positions of leadership. It's that you avoid that strategy. Followers of Jesus should avoid replacing servant strategy with some kind of top down boss strategy. Because we cannot bring the kingdom of God differently than the king did. And the king did it by serving and dying for others. And by the way, <laughs> it worked. I mean, we live in the world we live in today largely because followers of Jesus took Jesus seriously at this. And it's often misunderstood, but when it is seen for what it is, it is greatly admired and respected. Some of you all may, may know about Nicholas Kristof. He is a writer for the New York Times, travels all over the world. He's not a Christian. He's often on the other side of issues and will speak openly and honestly about what he doesn't like, about what is seen as Christian positions you know, in the New York Times. Well, a few years ago, Nicholas Kristof wrote an article because... As part of his job is to travel all around the world and go to, you know, developing countries or places that are hurting. And he happens to run into Christians serving everywhere he goes. And then he would come back to Manhattan and he'd be around his secular kind of elite friends and academy people. And he'd hear them, these people who didn't have these experiences, making fun of followers of Jesus. And so he wrote an article a few years ago. I just want you to see part of it. He says, in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I've seen so many others. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, hunger, malaria, prison rape. I'm not going to say that word. I don't know how to say that word. Human trafficking or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics who are similar in many ways, who truly live their faith. I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way, and it sickens me to see their faith marked, mocked at New York cocktail parties. He goes on to say that, and when he goes to a developing country, that often what he'll find is that in the capital or in the major cities, you'll have the secular kind of government NGOs. But when you get out into the most rural, hard-to-live places in these developing places, almost to a person, the people who are serving there, the people who are doing really, really hard sacrificial service are followers of Jesus. So his point is maybe start paying attention to that. In other words, this guy who's not a believer, who doesn't share what we believe, when he looks at the best fruit of faith, he points to this to what Jesus taught us to do. My best friend is a Bub. His real name is Jeremy, but I'm going to call him Bub. He's always been Bub to me. He's the senior pastor at First Baptist Branson. And a few years ago, a guy joined their church named Stedman Valentine. Stedman Valentine is a very gifted young man, and Bub took him to lunch. And he said, so what, what, do, you want to, what do you want to do? How, how can we get you plugged in? And Stedman said, oh, "Man, I, I was thinking maybe I could stack chairs or help clean around the facilities." And Bub was like, "Stedman, what's your gift? What do you feel like God's given you gifts to do?" And he was like, "Ah, oh, primarily preaching and teaching." And by the way, he's a very gifted preacher or teacher. And Bub was like, "Well, yeah, but you just said you wanted to stack chairs." And Stedman said, "Here's the thing." There's a tendency in me I'm trying to kill. And I think it's a tendency that I heard this story and I felt it too. There's a tendency in me, he says, that I want to reach for the mic. And I think Jesus is calling me to reach for the broom instead. Does this resonate with anybody else? Maybe you don't like being in front of people, maybe that mic thing's not you, but on some level, you can apply it to your life. There's this tendency in me, and maybe in you, that you want to do the things that get what you want, All right. and what Stedman's saying is to follow Jesus feels a lot like in daily life, choosing not to reach for the mic, but instead to reach for the broom. Jesus brought a kingdom that is a lot like that. And, and how he came is still how the kingdom comes. So what does that have to do with us as a church? <clears throat> what does that have to do with you as a follower of Jesus? Well, if you follow Jesus, then you're called to love a lot of people. You're called to love your neighbor. And Jesus defines neighbor as people that are in your, you know, proximity, We're called to serve our spouses if we're married, serve our kids if we have them, our co-workers, our fellow students, widows and orphans. And in the New Testament, it's a really big deal. You're called to serve the local body of believers that you're a part of. So if you call PV home, then let's apply what this means today. How do we reach for the broom and lower ourselves and humble our hearts to serve this body here in a couple of weeks, the fall is going to kick off. And if you've never been in like a church leadership role, then you might not know. But there are a few times a year <clears throat> where a lot of new people come. Uh, people who are, you know, life changes, they're moving, is starting. And a lot of new people come, guests looking for a new church home. And we have made it our humble aim to be ready for that day. And our church being ready looks like more of you serving. No, not serving for me, not serving for our staff, but serving for each other. And so here's some on-ramps of ways that you can get involved. So <coughs> if you, <coughs> the first one, PV Kids. I've worked at two other churches in my life, and I love here what we do the most for our kids. I want to raise our kids here, and I bet you do too if you're a parent. I love the way that our kids, when we come home, they've always got new stuff they've learned about the Lord, they're growing in the Lord, the way that they're so passionate about it, the way our volunteers serve so well. We um, PV Kids Church, nursery, and this is not just babysitting. This is like prayer, praying over those babies that are in there. Um, If you're this last year, the majority of our church, we we came back from COVID this last year. The majority of our church, like 65% of our church was in a small group, which is healthy and needed. Because in a large church like this, you cannot be healthy unless you also are small. And so here's what that meant. That meant over the last year um, that people stepped up and took responsibility for a small community. We call those 242 groups, life groups. They're, they meet in home and in the building on Wednesday nights, and they took responsibility for them. And I've heard so many wonderful stories come out of what it meant to share life with each other. These are places that relationships go deeper, not just like I'm fine, everything's you know okay or whatever. And what that means is the person who led your 242 group last year Somebody who prayed over you, who thought about how to take responsibility for that group of people that they were trying to serve. That's, and, and we need some more 242 group leaders as we're about to launch for the fall. And if you are interested in that, would you email lynn at pvcc.org? Because we are getting ready to launch 242 groups again. What about this? Uh, in a few weeks... With the fall, if it's like what it is most years, there will be people who come to church maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in years. And imagine if you didn't grow up going to church, coming to a building like this. You know, you're thinking, am I joining a cult? What is happening? And they're walking to the building, the building, um, you know, they don't know which door to come in. Well, we've thought of that, tried to help them uh, realize we're preparing for you. We're expecting you. And so there are men and women who get up early on Sunday mornings. And they, get, they leave a little bit later. And they're the people who show up because they're expecting people to show up. And they are the, fa- the very first faces. I have friends who, um, you know, friends of mine who will come to PV. Uh, they're just passing through. And they'll come up and tell me, I've been greeted and welcomed by like seven different people. And I think, yes. Not because my friend needed it, but because I know what that means is that that single mom who's nervous but needs help, who knows she wants to try to raise her kids in the Lord, when she got here, chances are she also had people welcoming her, seeing her. Um, If you want to be a part of that, you can email kelly at pvcc.org. Here's another one. Every time we gather together in assembly... Um, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. It's uh, a lot of people who you don't walk up and say, thank you so much for serving, because you might not know they're serving. But the media team, the people who are helping make this happen right now, and if I don't say this correctly, could kill my mic this moment. <laughs> Did you just kill that mic? <laughs> yeah. So you see what I'm saying? We need better volunteers, guys. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Did you kill it again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there, there are all these ways that we serve, and this is what it means to be a part of a family. So if you're interested in doing that, you can email josh at pvcc.org. If you're interested in serving our kids in the kids' ministry, and by the way, I'll tell you this. Tanya, this, Ms. Tanya this morning told me, one of my greatest joys in life is watching a kid I taught when they were five get baptized when they're 15. I know, like, I might have had God might have used me. Just a little part of that. All right. And in my experience, listen, volunteers, this is really big. In my experience, those are the people people remember as they get older. Not preachers. You might remember something about preachers. But here's the thing. A paycheck ruins it. Because often people think, oh, Jonathan's just like that because he's getting paid. You're not. It really is an expression of the love of God when you're serving. And so serve if you're not into email you can email teen at pbcc if you want to do kids uh, ministry serve in those various ways Um, if you're not into email there is a sign-up sheet right there on in the booth right outside under the renew all um, sign this is who we are this is what we do so in our house we have five kids I may have mentioned that before and I want you to think about that that means we have seven human beings in one house and those kids love animals and so here's what that means Uh, We have a lot of living things. We have three dogs, two cats, seven chickens, two rabbits, a turtle, a hermit crab, and a partridge in a pear tree. Now, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of toilet paper. That's a lot of, you know, dishwashing detergent. And so what we've decided to do is that we have Leslie do all of it. (laughs) No! No! I mean, can you imagine? Hey, Les, can you just do all the cooking, all the cleaning, all just do everything? Does that sound neat to y'all? No, it does not sound neat. It sounds terrible. So in our house, we all do the chores. After a meal, either Leslie and I will say, five-minute pickup, and everybody goes to their spots, and someone does dishes, someone clears the table, someone takes out the trash, someone sweeps, and... Here's the thing. You may ask, well, now, how much do you pay them? Mm, Nothing. (laughs) And Leslie and I don't get paid either. We don't pay them. Uh, Now, you may think, oh, you guys are terrible parents. We're going to call DHS on you. Well, wait a second. We're part of a family. And I'm doing my kids no favors by teaching them that someone else is going to clean up their messes for the rest of life. And here's the point I want to make. It's also for their good and for their joy. Now I got to tell you, early on, five-minute pickup, there was moaning and groaning and gnashing of teeth. But now it's just the culture of our home. It's what we do. It's the ethos ethos of our house. Now there's laughter and joy and the partnership. There's together culture, and so. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, the reason I've never served, if I was to ask you, why have you never served if you've been a part of this church? You might say, well, it's because I've never been asked. That's fair. But I want you to know, I'm asking. And again, I'm not asking for me. I'm not asking for our staff. I'm asking for us. Because this is what it means to be a part of a family. We serve and are served. So will you join us? Will you partner with us? Will you serve with us? Let's be a family. There's a lot of examples, thousands of examples I can think of over the last five years of watching people and my heart just kind of swelling with joy. But the one I thought of for this was last year, February Valentine's Day weekend, daddy-daughter dance at PV. And there's tons of volunteers, but the one that I noticed that night, me and Hannah are there, we're having a banquet, we're having to dance to Justin Bieber or whatever, um, and I noticed Eddie Shields. And I thought, Eddie ain't got no daughters. And he was all dressed up, and he was taking out the trash, reaching for the broom, And it impressed me. I, I, I literally thought about it dozens of times over the next few months because he's, here's this accomplished allergy doctor in Little Rock. And on a Friday night, the thing he did because of love of God and love of us was he put on a tie and he took out trash so that I could dance with my daughter We're not just trying to get people to be busy. (laughs) We're not just trying to get people to sign up. We also want you to see the lead servant as in Jesus Christ. Do you see what he did again? Again, this is just the nature of reality if you're a follower of Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be like, rub my feet, serve me. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, his life, his death, was to give you back your life. He took your death and gave you his life, his joy, his hope, his peace, his life everlasting. He said, I'm here to serve, so be set free. There's a, a moment in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking and he says, the followers of Jesus. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you're waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. Be dressed in service. That's how you stay ready. That's how your heart stays humble. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. And look at what he does when he comes. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. Jesus will never stop being a servant and neither should we. All right. Come on, church. This is who we are. Let's reach for the room. I'd like to invite our prayer teams to take their places around the auditorium. If you've got something going on in your life and you would like some godly people to pray over you, or if you'd like to know more about following Jesus or taking a next step in following Jesus or questions about how to join this church, there's some godly people up here who would love to pray with you, talk with you, and bless you.